Escape to Ocean City, Maryland, and discover a place that just feels lighter, where every day feels like Saturday and french fries are a food group, where flip-flops are always in fashion and seafood is always in season, where the boardwalk is bustling and the beach is right outside your door, where you can rise with the tide and feel like a kid again. Ocean City, Maryland, somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at Oceocean.com. new episode of the keep it mysteries Ooh. oh my god it's been a minute i'm i've chosen to be daphne for this one so expect me in some purple with a little bit of a green ascot you're stealing daphne from me watch the way i stand my hip structure <laughs> it's pure daphne top to bottom to be honest i have i probably have more fred qualities than i want to admit uh, mm. i could yeah. also see you in that color palette Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, absolutely. Um, and joining us this week is the wonderful Francesca Ramsey. Yay! Hello. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for having Welcome me. Welcome back. Thanks. To this, um, to this episode, which really has a lot of, a lot of suspense. Oof. A lot of mystery. A lot of crime. Oh, edge of your seat. Barbara Cartland. Yes. Uh, But before we get into that, though, we are introducing a new segment called Keep It Corrections. Um, (laughs) Oh, it's. Would you like to start? Keep it. Keep it correct. Uh, Imagine if we uh, went through the corrections for all the um, previous two hundred and four episodes of this show. Uh, We will not do that. But we're going to start with last week. I got some notes that. Bomb Bitty Bomb is a Nicki Minaj and Nick Jonas mm. song, not a Zayn song. That I don't is an know how I could have made that error. You know, because he was also on the uh, Fifty Shades soundtrack with that sweeping boat song he did with Taylor Swift. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I could see Nick Jonas and Zayn are not similar, but I would say, like, in terms of relevance, maybe. Like, yeah. who's thinking about either of them? It's sort of right. like they're both sexy but not quite cool. I think that's sort of the where you got lost. Yeah. Well, but, like yeah. Joe is the Joe is remained for me the sexiest Jonas. Really? And also seems like and also seems like the cooler one now. He's in his like muscle daddy phase. He's wearing like <laughs> disco daddy um the designers um like, you know, sort mm. of like glittery disco outfits at the Jonas shows. He's sort of giving like Harry Styles that okay. you want to fuck. Yeah, I could definitely, I would Instead definitely of- say he's cool because Nick really comes across as very like thirsty and needy and mm. like, please like me, you know, mm. just like. It was the whole like um, gay baiting era, mm-hmm. I feel, you know. And, and then Joe I know way too much about hot. his relationship. Like, truly, it's a, with Priyanka. Just leave me we alone. We know too much. I just don't, I much. don't care. I believe it. You guys, you guys are doing the sex. Like, I believe you. Leave me alone. <laughs> I want to say Joe has given interviews where he has made me laugh, too, where I mm. definitely, I know Nick has not mm. um, yes. put, put on the, the uh, I, I don't think he's been to a Second City class or anything. You know, he's not making me, not making me short all. Oh, my Plus, God, yes. DNCE was good. Oh, yeah. Was good, do, you know. Their "Do You Think I'm Sexy" cover underrated. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, better than Paris Hilton's. I mean, right. the bar is in hell, but yes, <laughs> you are you are technically correct. <laughs> All right, let's get back into the mystery element of this week. We're, first of all, we will be discussing um, some classic Hollywood films. Uh, we're going to also regale Francesca with uh, one of our favorite Hollywood true crime stories, which is the death of Salmoneo. Of course. Yes, uh, who was in Rebel Without a Cause with Natalie Wood, which brings us to our interview this week, which is with Lana Wood, the sister of Natalie Wood, who's written a new memoir, Little Sister, and it is juicy. Mm. Natalie Wood, also just one of these people who is, you know, iconic because of uh, mainly two movies that everybody knows, Rebel Without a Cause and West Side Story. But the more you watch her other movies, you really see that she was like an amazing Brad. She's basically the reason the play, the boys in the band happened. We'll get into that too. So anyway, lots to, lots to discover about mm-hmm. Natalie Wood. Today. Wow. Yeah. Truly. I, I feel like if you have, we've talked about it before on the show. If you have not Done. seen Splendor in the grass, I feel like that movie Ooh. was sort of the blueprint for the acting style for a lot of actors. Yeah. After uh, her and Warren Beatty. Like it was very naturalistic, but also a bit over the top and just sort of like that's right. It's, it's the it's angst the was real, now. but the drama was high. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh yes. my god! Put that on a magnet. <laughs> I, <laughs> the angst was real. Oh, yes. The drama or was high. Sound, or that could be like one of the intros for like a housewife or something. Like I don't watch those shows, but everybody has like a little blurb that they say. Like that mm-hmm. sounds like one of the. Oh, Francesca, I didn't realize you also don't watch those shows. Mm. You need to just stay on the show permanently because I need you as an ally here in this, my life. (laughs) 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 Uh, And to continue the high drama uh, and memoir discussion as well, Will Smith has a new memoir out and he is getting candid as hell it's mind-blowing again so, I, ne- I never thought we would uh, get this version of will smith where we actually knew things about him i thought he was going to be swathed in mystery no. for the rest of time honestly i i i hate that i hate that our celebrities feel compelled to tell us everything like i love that i don't <laughs> know like i don't know what beyonce's closet looks like like and i love mm-hmm. that for me you know what i mean like it's just he's telling us way too much and I mean, I don't know. It just seems very strange, like especially because he is so successful and he has made so much money. Like, I can't understand what is possessing him to be this open. Like, you know what I mean? Mm. Like, is this a weird, like, king? You, pr- you would prefer he, he keeps taking public. <laughs> you would prefer he table this conversation as opposed to red table this conversation. I got it. Okay. Yes. <laughs> like, get a journal. You know what I mean? Like, what's going on? <laughs> Well, we will dig a bit deeper into Will Smith right after this break. So keep listening for more Keep It. Will Smith is currently on a press tour for the release of his new memoir, Will. And boy, oh boy, is he on the press tour of his life. Will is sharing details about his abusive father, his rise to fame, his marriage, past loves, 
falling in love with Stalker Channing for when, one. Excuse me. When it, picture, picture me, Louis Vertel, <laughs> when I read that news. <laughs> Here's me at the computer. You know I'm doing my little typing. What flies across the screen on Twitter? I'm in love with Stalker Channing. End quote. Dash Will Smith. What do I do with the rest of my day? Live? <laughs> Will Smith's in love that, with Rizzo. <laughs> the oh. fact that it also apparently played into like why his first marriage crumbled. Right. Yeah. It's wild. I yeah. want to see that movie. <laughs> And then, did you see that Stockard Channing responded? She's like, I'm incredibly flattered. Are you? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wait a second. So is this the first time she heard about it? Basically, yes. yes. Oh, that is so Mm -hmm. messy. Yeah, Wesley Lowry um, did the GQ profile um, of Will, the expansive one that was the precursor to the memoir coming out. And he contacted Stalker and asked her about it. Wow. They were, of course, co-stars in Six Degrees of Separation, which we just talked about recently. Stalker nominated for an Oscar for that movie. Will Smith's first prestige movie project that he was curiously not nominated for. Mm-hmm. And Smith says basically he stayed in character for months or was like method acting his way into falling in love with her, which that that is beyond baffling. No, no idea what he could mean there. But... No. Um, I guess no. it was ain't no thing to Stockard, who's, you know, just acting up a storm all the time. I, I just want to circle back and say method acting. Don't get it. This was be fun. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, <laughs> you don't need to be in character all the time. Like, that's not mm. acting. That is like you yeah. have something Daniel, wrong with Daniel, take a day you. off, Lewis, <laughs> is what you mean. <laughs> I just can't imagine that that's fun for anyone in your life or your coworkers. You, you're being asked to be called your character's name when you're at craft services. Get the fuck over yourself. It reminds me yeah, of um, I, like in the the stories of Andy Kaufman on the set of Taxi, who would like oh. who would be his like alter ego from time to time, and then the all the other actors on set would have to oblige and indulge. And no. and then later he would kind of be normal again. Cause he was relatively normal in his Andy Kaufman to, uh, uh, out of character moments. And then mm-hmm. Meryl Lou Henner or Judd Hirsch would have to be like, no, Andy, that was incredibly annoying. <laughs> like, why did you do this to me? Yeah, I never, I've never heard. And you know what's interesting is I feel like it's always men that are doing this yes. uh, method acting thing. It's I don't bad. hear about women saying, you know, Charlize Theron, I'm going to play monster. So I'm going to be Eileen Warnos 24 <laughs> seven. I'm out here killing motherfuckers. Like no one is trying yeah. to. It's just very strange. And it seems so. And it's always uh, obnoxious. No one's ever method acting to play Mother Teresa. Right. Right? Like no one is trying mm-hmm. to be a good loving person and say, let me be that character yes. in my off hours. For women, I feel like it. The, we always hear from a director or their co-stars that um, they're amazed at how um, they can be laughing and having fun <laughs> with people, you know, like on set. And then as soon as the cameras start rolling, they shift into yeah, the that's character. Acting. And I'm like, that's acting. <laughs> <laughs> the way Meryl Streep does her job and then is also considerate, how does she do it? Yeah. <laughs> also, side note, before we jump back into Will Smith, this is a classic keep it detour. Uh, <laughs> where's Phil Keoghan coming up with the sign? It's like, a keep it detour is when Ira and Lewis start discussing something else that is off topic. I cannot believe that I watched the show Taxi. Oh, as a kid, like, like you know, like there were so many Nick at Night shows that like I watched, obviously, but like 
Taxi feels just like the weirdest one to me. And it feels like a, the whole show feels like a fever dream. Yeah. I don't really remember specific episodes, but I remember characters and feelings. I feel like nothing happened on that show. It always felt very boring to me. (laughs) Well, first of all, I mean, something that's iconic about that show, obviously, is the opening credits, which is the rare case of like a pedestrian sort of vibe. It's it's not like singing the premise of the show to you. It's not, Mm -hmm. you know, like a, a energized pop song or anything like that. It's just like. You know, a, it's sort of like a stroll through New York. And then yes. I will say about that show, even though I think it's mostly a conventional sitcom, it has multiple very uh, 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 memorable characters. And that it's like you've got the uh, Louis De Palma, you've got the uh, Reverend Jim, played by Christopher Lloyd, you've got Andy Kaufman. You know, so it's like people were all three of those characters could have been their own show, but they were all mysteriously on this show. Anyway, so that's my feelings about Taxi. And also, Mary Lou Henner has apparently the greatest memory of any celebrity who ever lived, which is very important. <laughs> um, getting back to the idea that Will was saying that he did this method acting, you know, like and was falling in love with Stockard Channing. He says he'd never use that tactic ever again, but doesn't it then feel like he's basically saying he used that tactic to create Will Smith? Mm. His whole memoir is the idea that the construction of Will Smith was sort of a premeditated, purposeful act um, to create I totally the like perfect buy that. black male Hollywood star and now he's reached the age where he's like hey I want to be a real person what oh my god like oh I'm having so many feelings about this because you know I've always liked Will Smith but his persona has always felt very calculated um and and I I don't know I feel so conflicted about the fact that he's telling us this because it almost makes me look back on all the things I liked about him with fresh eyes like like I feel like I've been lied to by a man that I don't know (laughs) (laughs) I thought we were friends or we don't know each other yeah (laughs) well you know he is a Libra so um I would say that Will Smith also it makes sense now with like these weird contradictions that always existed with him because right now he's making that film Emancipation. Right? Oh God! And he was like, "I never wanted to make a slave film, you know. It's why I turned down Django. Like Get I wanted to be here. like a Tom Cruise making aspirational, you know, like showing black excellence in films." I'm like, "All right, girl. I mean, the the role of Django seems more interesting, and um, than you know, Emancipation." Well, I thought it was also interesting that he specifically said, I didn't want to make a slavery revenge film. Like, what? (laughs) Like, if I'm going to if I'm going to be forced to watch a slavery movie, I need to see some motherfuckers die. Right. And I need it to be the bad guys. I don't want to watch just like pain and torture. And, And Django is really gratuitous in that way. But at the very least, to frame it as, well, it's a slave movie that's about revenge. It just again, it's still kind of playing into that uh, good black person narrative, which right. and he's is discussed weird. that he wants to make films only now that are sort of, um, you know, um, aspirational. Uh, he wants to make films that, um, you know, are about um, black love and you know, like um, the power of us as people. And I'm like, I don't want an aspirational slave movie. Yes, right. That's what's weird. From those films. Well, and like this Emancipation movie, what I've read of it, it's described as like an action thriller slave movie. I don't. What? What? This. Yes, <laughs> like... it's the male Harriet Tubman. Basically, he escapes. <laughs> 
And then he goes back to help other people. It's giving you underground, you know. Yeah. But from for the Will Smith perspective. Now, I have a question. No. What was aspirational about Collateral Beauty? Because if I'm not mistaken, <laughs> that actually set cinema back about 175 years. Um, also, I think you're the only person that saw that. Well, by the way, if you do see that movie, I mean, th- that is among the classic bait and switch movies that ever existed. Watch the trailer for that movie. You think mm-hmm. it is one thing. And you're like, all right, well, and Kate Winslet's here and uh, Helen Mirren, plenty of people I trust. And then you watch well, the film and it's not at all what you think. And also like three layers meta deep that would never, ever happen in real life. I have no idea what happened with that movie. It's constantly on my mm. mind. Maybe the movie was aspiring to be a better movie. Uh, <laughs> they usually are. They usually are. Yeah. Uh, it's it's also interesting to hear him talk, you know, uh, about jealousies that he had, uh, which makes sense, you know. I mean, before he became friends with Tom Cruise, um, he describes being jealous of him because he wanted, you know, that like he was the only actor who was sort of rivaling him for, you know, like back to back successes, et cetera, you know. And then, of course, they became friends. It's interesting that he became friends with him during his like problematic like outbursts. Um, and he describes himself as like, you know, I'm like, don't call me when everything's great. Call me when, you know, like, I love being a 2 a.m. emergency phone call. What? Uh, and, and he talked about, and like Bridget Moynihan uh, in the interview talks about how like he reached out to her after like when she was pregnant. I found out she was pregnant after um, the Tom Brady split. And I'm just sort of like, maybe he's the kind of person who just can only be around other people when they're miserable. But that also sounds like it's feeding his ego of like, yeah, yeah I want to know when things are bad in your life so I can feel better about myself. Yes, of being savior, Will, you know? Oh, yeah. He has, it seems like he has a really hard time gauging like normal human interactions. I thought so much of the stuff he talked about with his marriage uh, with Jada was really interesting. <laughs> Did you see the antidote where he, for her 40th birthday, commissioned a documentary? That traced about her, her life, her life, traced her, it, traced her lineage back to slavery. Who wants to watch that during their 40th? <laughs> it must be my birthday. You're tracing me back to slavery. He's like, I don't want to do any slave movies, but I definitely want you to think about slavery at this turning point of your life. <laughs> what the that fuck? is wilder than that is wilder than like the show. This is your life. This is the person you're married to commissioned a documentary about your lineage and surprises you with it on your birthday that is that's also another like, movie her, i want to see that's a horror movie and this the the like he traced it back to the descendants of the family that owned jada's family and had them featured in the documentary why would anyone why would i want to hear from those people during my birthday why can't you just do the regular thing where everybody's kids you know get on the iphone and say how much they love you jada no he had to do this weird finding your roots thing for her like just so strange this is actually calling to mind for me um the kind of intrigue I felt a few years ago hearing Tiffany Haddish tell that now very famous story of like going with Will and Jada on that swap tour that she got on Groupon or whatever. Cause a part of me was super um, entranced by the idea of Will Smith having to interact with strangers, you know, like cause she yes. takes them on the boat and then he like immediately <laughs> settles them down and she's like, okay, I'll take a couple pictures, whatever. But it's like, I realized I had no sense of how Will Smith could at all 
interact, interact in a normal way with no. anybody. And no. now this book is sort of validating, oh, that is coming from a very legitimate place for me. Yes. You know? <laughs> he's been famous. Yes. He's clearly been famous for way too long. And so I just don't think he knows how to function as a normal person. And I would even argue that the amount that he's disclosing about himself speaks to that. This is not stuff I want to know about people I'm actually friends with and like. Like, don't mm -hmm. tell me all of this personal shit about the merit yourself. stuff. The merit stuff is maybe good. What I what was concerning was the foray into, you know the violence that his father inflicted on his mother. And you know what? He talked with his mother and that I, I see that as something that's helpful. Him yes. talking about him coming from, you know, like Absolutely. an abusive childhood and how he survived that and how his family did. But then we go a little bit too far when he discusses how he had thought about killing his father and how <sighs> he, if he called 911, it would be his Academy Award winning <gasps> performance and he wouldn't be arrested because like, how are you going to arrest me? I'm like, I don't know, because you black. Oh, my God. Well, and that <laughs> I don't think you would have gotten away with that. But that his mind thinking that his, he could like, get away with that is yeah, wild. Yeah, that really plays into his idea of, like, I'm not like the other blacks. <laughs> you know, like, it's just he seems very detached from reality, reality in a way that is very concerning. It's very Tom Cruise-y. Yes. Who I love. And I love Will too. It's weird. I've all I've always associated their careers a bit with one another too, because they're 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 people who created these sort of like affable personas, right? Uh and this and then we've seen him, Tom's, you know, sort of marriage and stuff fell apart. Um more so, I think, because of the Scientology, how deep he was, and also the fact that, you know, like Will Smith, I think, as we see from his upbringing and like also being black, he wanted to be the talented point oh 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 one percent uh he had more at stake to not let it all crumble we're seeing we're we've only started to see it once like August Alsina revealed the affair things, and then like red table talk took us into that, but until then, their careers were very much sort of the, this interesting idea of a male celebrity in Hollywood because they were they made commercial very successful films um and then their for their brief forays at times into wanting that legitimacy the like the like the Oscar the nomination etc are sort of similar to me too but what's also weird is that neither of them got those Oscars although mm -hmm. I would argue uh -huh that they've both done at least two roles that deserved it. Whoa, 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 which Tom, ones? Tom more so. <laughs> Tom more so. I mean, no, no, no. Tom, you gotta I would say one up. potentially from Sorry. Magnolia. For Magnolia. And oh, you okay. know how I feel about Jerry Maguire. Okay. You're shading Jeffrey Rush today. Okay, that's not an <laughs> argument I was prepared to get into, but I, I will defend Shine. Oh, all right, you're the only one doing it. <laughs> Armin Mueller stall, we say your name. I don't know. I just feel like those characters aren't stretches. And I think that if you get if you win an Oscar, I, I mean, look, I'm not on the in the Academy, so who am I? I'm truly just a girl with a mic in her office. But I think that you should be stretching yourself and doing something that feels like a like you have really uh, embodied a new person. And to me, I'm like Jerry Maguire, like that feels like. I don't know. Like he did. He was acting. He gave us some, you know, tears and stuff. But uh, I don't know. He's just playing Tom Cruise. 
I would say it's a little bit comparable to like a Sandra Bullock in The Blind Side, where it's like, for, well, she she does have an accent in that yes. movie, but affability is her whole thing. So well, it's like know. the Sandra Bullock show is basically that movie. Right. Will Smith embodied, you know, a pigeon in Spies in Disguise. I don't know that one either. <laughs> it's a recent animated comedy with Tom Holland, and it's very cute. Oh, my goodness. You know what's also interesting about these revelations in the book is I think the nature of some of these, you usually hear from other people about the person. Mm -hmm. For instance, I'm thinking of a, 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 a memoir I've read a thousand times because I'm obsessed with them. It's about the it's called Split Image. It's about the uh, actor Anthony Perkins. And somebody in it talks about how Anthony has some sort of real life breakdown where he's like crying at Saturn in front of him. And this person is very compelled by it. And then he goes to see Anthony Perkins in a play later. And he real and during an emotional scene, literally recreates the breakdown as in it, it's clear he was, you know, feeling it like an actor would during the uh, real life breakdown. And then he could recreate it on stage. And this when uh, Will Smith says, I could win an Academy Award for my performance on the phone whatever, as I arrange my father's murder, feels like something almost somebody else would have to say about you because it's so telling to know about yourself, you know? Yes. <laughs> yes. I, I get that. It's, it's, it's sort of um, sort of this hyper-awareness of the persona that you've crafted. And, you know, I mean, it feels almost relatable in this era of where, you know, like, Everyone has crafted their own image. Yes. Totally. You yeah. know? And so it's sort of relatable. You know, like, I ha have I played the murder of my father? <laughs> no. Do I know that I would look really hot doing it? Yes. yes. But do I, do I also know that it's not cute to tell people that no, too? So maybe I have. You know? <laughs> uh, I did also say, but what you mean about someone else saying it, it was interesting that, you know, like, the, the memoir doesn't get to much past his marriage troubles with Jada, uh, except sort of address it. He does address the fact that, like, you know, he wanted to let people know that he wasn't also being monogamous, too. You know, it wasn't just her, okay? He was getting some good good on the side, too. I feel like they were the <laughs> first open marriage that everyone knew about. I've, al yes. I've always known that they were open. Yeah, yeah. There's always well, the I word certainly on the heard about it. I heard about it a million years ago, but at the same time, I also didn't know where it came from, and I didn't know why they would necessarily be open or whatever. So I had no reason to really believe I it. feel like it was a childhood rite of passage when you find out. Remember Fresh Prince of Bel-Air? Yeah. He fucks other people, you know? <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. That's, that's just been, like, uh, passed around to, like, black people for years. Yeah. I feel like I, we've always done. I feel like even, like, even, like, my mama knew that. Yes. My every Thanksgiving, we all had to talk about it. Yes. Yes. Like, people knew. Um, so somebody from back home in Philly was talking. Uh, <laughs> and that's how it got from Thanksgiving table to Thanksgiving table. But uh, he does talk a bit about, you know, how um, there are so many other things that he could dive into, but it feels like other people's stories to tell. Oh. Also, very funny aside, um, he almost called Jaden Luigi. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> I, I do think it is kind of chic that the kids have... Uh, uh, different versions of the parents I think names. that's like, so cute 
Yeah. Yeah. You know, like a, a twist, especially since if you're taking like it's it's a girl and you're taking the the man's name and doing something to it. Like if I had a daughter, my dad's name is Lee. I would like a daughter named Lee. I also yeah. have a poster of the actress Lee Grant behind me. Anyway, is this all Freudian? Who knows? Yeah. Um, but no, it was he talked about how with a psychologist having his son, Trey, um, the one from the Just the Two of Us video, uh, who I always sometimes I'm sorry, Trey as if he's listening to this, forget about him until I remember that Jaden was not even born yet or far too young to be in the Just the Two of Us video. So uh, not even born yet. Uh, so um, what? He, there is another son. But apparently it was uh, Trey was going to be involved in a naming process so it could help the blended families. Um, but the name that six-year-old Trey came up with was um, Luigi. <laughs> and so Will was like, absolutely not. <laughs> trying to get that nintendo money uh, okay <laughs> i do have uh, to shout out um will smith though for um in a few of his main singles referencing or i guess the word would be interpolating songs that are so amazing i think people might forget about them otherwise so first i mean besides i wish by stevie wonder that, that which is in wild wild west that we know but Forget Me Nots by uh, Patrice Russian, which is the basis of Men in Black. That is like a banger of all time. And I think I wouldn't hear it otherwise if it weren't for Men in Black now, strangely. Are so you kidding me? You clearly have not driven around South Florida with my 70-year-old mother. Because that <laughs> is always on Hot 95. Yes. Like, that's on like the... <laughs> yes. Let us not forget uh, him interpolating Rock the Casbah. And uh, and wait, there's another one we're forgetting too. Uh, 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 oh, getting jiggy with he's the greatest dancer by Sister Sledge. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so. I'm gonna credit his producers, but yes, he is really good. <laughs> he's really good at yes. taking a song that was already successful and then making another successful <laughs> song out of it. Mm. I mean, I just prefer his version of it to like P Diddy's, which was around the same time too. Oh, I guess yeah. you know, mm. like what didn't he do? He put Cashmere in that uh, Godzilla song. Uh, yeah, and. That's enough. Oh, we're all that trying to a... forget that song. Yes. Plus, yeah. plus, you know, he was very specific about, going back to his persona, right? Very specific about not rapping in his records, uh, mm. which always reminds me of Eminem saying, Will Smith ain't got to rap in a song to sell records. Well, I do, so fuck him and fuck you too. <laughs> <laughs> um, to wrap this up, though, uh, in his non rapping um, songs, he did manage to have Little Kim on a track on. Um, Willennium, and the song is called Debutta, and it is actually a fantastic fucking song. Really? Really? Yeah. Will Smith featuring Little Kim from is Little Kim being year, for the year 1999. It's PG. You know, it's very much like when she was on um Ray J's first single. Wait a minute. Wow. You know, a little a little PG Kim. Uh, it's cute. It's wholesome. It's fun for the whole family. Go listen to Debutta. It's great. And it's still it's still uh, relevant because we're still in the millennium. Okay, we we're like we've barely dented it, so <laughs> you still have time to jump aboard. Why yeah. <laughs> uh, to hey? Anyway, um, <laughs> when the Keep It Mysteries return, we're gonna find out what really happened to Natalie Wood on that boat. I promise, like, the, all the secrets will be revealed in this episode. So keep listening. Oh, Jesus Christ. Tie bar. Okay.
Keep It is brought to you by Barefoot Dreams. Lewis? Yes? When you see Footprints in the Sand, that was when I carried you in my Barefoot Dreams rub. Now, is that a Leona Lewis song? <laughs> no? Uh, if you want to bring coziness into your life, you turn to Barefoot Dreams, especially now as the brand is celebrating their 30th anniversary. With those 30 years of coziness, Barefoot Dreams celebrates being the originators of everyone's favorite luxe home blanket. And while many have attempted to duplicate their blankets, robes, and more, Barefoot Dreams' fabrication and quality cannot be replicated, so don't believe the dupes. Girl, this blanket is it. I effing love this blanket. I'm thinking about it right now, and I want to jump in my bed, which is sponsored by something that we'll do another ad for momentarily. Get ready. There's a reason why Barefoot Dreams has been on Oprah's favorite things list six times. Jesus, get a life, Oprah. My God. (laughs) Dressing head to toe in Barefoot Dreams is the key to comfort as their collection of ultra-soft robes, loungewear, and accessories are made with premium materials. Their products make the perfect gifts, too. Uh, I throw this thing on. I wear it like a shawl. I look exactly like Ellen Burstyn. And I am the coziest a human being can be. Because by the way, it's still that time in Los Angeles where it's like pretty mild outside and then your apartment is cold. I can't explain it. I don't know things like basic science. For Keep It listeners, you can get 15% off your first purchase at barefootdreams.com with the code KEEPIT15. Don't miss out on Barefoot Dreams soft, soothing fabrics that will bring luxury to your life. Nearly 40 years ago this November, actress Lana Wood lost her beloved older sister, Natalie. The star of classic American films like West Side Story, Rebel Without a Cause, and Miracle on 34th Street, Natalie Wood drowned off the California coast at 43 in a boating accident with her then-husband, Robert J. Wagner, that has been an enduring mystery in the four decades since. In her second book about Natalie's life, Little Sister, Lana dives into the mysterious circumstances surrounding her sister's death and her own investigation into the act that she considers to be a homicide. So, Lana, let's get all the tea right now. We're solving this right here, finally. It, you know, Welcome my intent it. with the book is seriously to let everybody know that if they simply listen to what homicide has put down in black and white and told me in person what the new coroner has said and what Robert Wagner has said, um, you've and Dennis Deverne, who was an eyewitness, you have the solution. I mean, it, it goes back to uh, Lieutenant John Carita when he held the press conference, when uh, RJ was changed to a person of interest. Um, I'm sorry, RJ is Robert Wagner. Um, Correct, yes. (laughs) Just in case you didn't know. Um, He said, you know, all they know for sure is there were two people on the back of the boat, and then there was only one. Kind of makes things clear cut. What do you think is the largest just misconception people have about this, you know, utterly sensationalized, uh, I'll, I'll call it a crime since we we're, here we are, um, that, you know, endures over the years? For, for example, like I'm this this is completely unrelated, but I am an obsessive fan of 
uh, Cass Elliot, and still people think she like choked on a sandwich. It's like didn't happen. Like it's like an enduring, ridiculous misconception that is in fact kind of insulting. Yeah. Do you have any of those that linger with this case in particular? I've got so many, it's ridiculous. One of the things that really struck a nerve for me, um, the whole thing is is very upsetting and will haunt me forever. But something that RJ said just got me right in the heart. And I went, no, I. It, how dare he? He told the um, police that arrived on the on the splendor that perhaps she took the dinghy out to go to part to party because she was that kind of woman what she would put on a flannel nightgown and wool socks to go and party late at night yeah it, it just irritated me to no end that he would say that about her she's not she would never have done anything like that, even dressed. She would not. Well, it's so interesting because I feel like publicly one of the things that we famously know about Natalie comes from um, the production of Splendor in the Grass, uh, where, you know, Alaya discussed how she was fearful of water and basically had to sort of trick Natalie into filming the scene where she's almost about to commit suicide in the water. And so the juxtaposition of that, um, it seems like the diametrical opposite. And I also want to ask a bit about, I guess you've discussed that um, your mother uh, had, you know, sort of visited this woman who sort of predicted, you know, like Natalie becoming a star, predicted the death in like a cold water as where. And, um, what is it just like growing up feeling like there's a prophecy about you? And like, was it a thing your mother mentioned often? Was it a thing that you and Natalie would, you know, like laugh about? No, it was something that she would do from time to time. She was always telling Natalie her fortune, telling me my fortune, but it was usually in a more direct fashion. But since she was told this, as sort of an adult in China, she believed it. And Natalie believed it. It upset her. You know, I left the room and laughed my ass off. But <laughs> Natalie was upset by it, and it, it hit her. Um, she was far more superstitious than I was, though she was trying to deal with that as well. But, uh, yeah, my mom would go on and on about that. Um. Something also incredibly serious in this book that you cover is uh, confirming the long-held, uh, I guess, suspicion that Kirk Douglas raped Natalie Wood. How did this story linger in your family? How did it impact her life? It really impacted Natalie's life. Um, as it is, Natalie was always told what to do, where to go, how to behave. She had even as a teenager, had that so ingrained that she didn't really know who Natalie was. She just had to be like this. And um, when that happened, it added another layer of her mistrust, 
um, her panic about men in general, um, a, a lot of things which would also impact me and her family because it was something that stayed there, that she had that deep-seated um, fear that something like this could happen again. Um, it really made her very distrustful, and I think that's why she had the uh, the rather odd, you know, she's engaged, she's going to get married. No, she's not. Um, those those issues, and also the thing with uh, with Richard Gregson, with her husband, um, when she caught him cheating, she didn't just scream and yell and say, "Get out of the house! I'm going to file for divorce. How dare you!" She threw out his clothing on the street. She hired um, security to come and stand in her driveway with a sawhorse. Um, he wasn't allowed to get onto the driveway to drive down to the house. I mean, she really went to some extremes because she would panic over smaller things thinking it was some sort of a portent. Well, he's going to be like this always, and I got to get out of there fast because something will happen. The revelation about Kirk in the book is almost a bit just like the, you know, the boating, um, you know, incident. You know, it is it is a thing that has, I feel like, lingered in Hollywood for yeah. years, a sort of this unknown secret. And yeah. I just sort of also want to know, what was it like um, for you and then for even Natalie um, as older sort of navigating this was it was it would you say that it was a thing that her other contemporaries other actors actresses that she worked with knew and that they just never said anything about it was it a thing that you felt like people never really believed or did people believe this about Kirk Douglas um, and other women was it a thing that people you know was an un um, unsaid secret about him at the time. He was uh, talked about for many other um, dalliances and by his own admission was a womanizer. But things were so different back then that if somebody slapped you on the butt or grabbed and gave you a big kiss as you walked into a stage, it didn't mean anything. And it wasn't perceived like that. But what was really Natalie's fear is if anybody found out, she wouldn't have a career because she would be attacking, uh, per se, a well-known, loved, important Hollywood star. So mm -hmm. she... She lived in fear of anyone finding out. She didn't really have um, contemporary actress girlfriends. Those were not, that wasn't who she, you know, went to for friends. Mm -hmm. When would you say that that uh, news even first came out? Was it something that you were comfortable admitting after she died? Um, the first time you discussed the Kirk Douglas news? Um, actually, it, it wasn't something that I had thought about. Uh, mm -hmm. It's something that came back 
to me in trying to piece together all of the things that happened with Natalie. Mm -hmm. Her reactions, it colored her reactions to things. But Natalie, if you read a couple of pages of her, her memoir, and I've got 400 pages of it, um, she would gently refer to things that happened, but she didn't name names and she didn't openly hold anyone to task. She would hint at what it was and go on. So she was protective and she was protective of them and she was protective of herself because how would she be perceived? Now, to uh, transfer to, a, I guess, a somewhat later topic, Natalie uh, Wood has plenty of films that I guess are now, I would say, are underrated in retrospect. Like, people don't talk about Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice the way they should. You know, The Searchers is still up there, which, of course, you are also in. Um, do you have favorite sort of underrated Natalie Wood movies? Like, if you had to put one on right now that you hadn't seen a thousand times, do you know what you'd pick? Um... It would probably go back to Splendor in the Grass, which isn't underrated. The underrated films, um, I don't know which were. I mean, I guess the one, I guess Peeper that she made mm. with uh, Michael Caine. Um, it wasn't a terrible movie. Um, Bob and Carol and Ted Dallas really does have a following. Yeah. Um, people love that film. And it was terrific for Natalie. It was a, big step forward yeah oh it's it's if you guys haven't seen it by the way it's like this it ends on sort of a hippie-ish note but it's this like free love yeah. movie where everybody in the, uh, the the four main characters each get at least one moment to like really slay on screen and when diane cannon appears you are like whoa this might be one of the best performances of the decade but natalie is so sensational too um looks yeah. looks of course fabulous yeah that quincy jones soundtrack too Duh. is yeah. is exquisite yeah. so yeah this is the second book that you've written about yes. your sister's life. Um, what even goes into, um, I guess, one, summoning the courage to write um, openly and candidly about your sister? And also just how, how did it feel, you know, over the years? You know, was it a sense that I still need to do more. I, I owe this to my sister. You know, um, what's it like going into the process of I really need to get things permanently on the record um, about my sister? I guess it was when I became um, really overly angry at everything, when things have been laid out, when it's so clear cut to me without any of the silly stories, without my, you know, going off on any sort of a tangent, it, it's just, it's there. And for decades now, people have been spinning this way and that way. And it was the Christopher Walken, um, you know, that she was having an affair with. No, she wasn't. Um, I mean, it was just, it was a million things like that. Her body was exhumed. They found this and that. And they, uh, I mean, it's just, it's crazy. Um, you know, and for people to think 
that someone who is five foot two to go over a railing, do they not understand she would have to get up and then fall? It was impossible to fall over that railing. Um, the boat deck entire thing had just been repainted with the, the gritty stuff that they do. So it is rough, but you can't slip. Uh, that was in, that was done beforehand. That was, you know, Dennis kept the boat in perfect condition and, you know, and, and Natalie insisted upon it. Oh, mm-hmm. uh, so it's just, you know, I, I, I got to the point where I said, you know what? It doesn't sound like anyone is standing up for her. So I have to, as much as I really didn't feel, I felt like I had to do it. But every single memory hurt so badly that I wasn't this. This was not a happy book to write. This wasn't reminiscent of, you know, cute little things that the two of us did and, you know, trouble we got into and anything that was really pleasant to me, I would seriously have to stop, walk away, go for a walk out front, do anything for a half an hour or so until I could get a hold of myself again and go, yeah, this, this is really tough to write. But I really felt I had to because nobody was standing up for Natalie. Not anybody. I mean, her own kids weren't standing up for her. So I'm going to have to. Because at this point, you know, I don't care what anybody says. Facts are facts. I'm not spinning stories. I'm not doing anything. And this was tough. But I stand behind the facts. And... I want some sort of justice for Natalie, some sort. I know it's not going to happen, but I don't know what may happen. Is it frustrating that there's, because it's such a storied tragedy and because, you know, suspicions has been cast over the years a thousand times that now Robert Wagner is sort of infallible? Like he doesn't have to like respond to any new suspicions like they've already been leveled at him. Is there an extra layer of frustration there? Um, no, because he uh, constantly changes his story through his own words. Um, you know, people do nothing but look at that. Who changes their story about a death that they were involved in? Ha, huh. would that be people that are guilty? I think so. Um, you know, the, the homicide detectives think so. It doesn't matter. You know, RJ has tried so hard to shut me out and shut me up. And even from the very beginning, which I didn't get when Natalie had just passed away and it was RJ's birthday and I was worried about him because I thought it would be a tough birthday for him. Um, He had already shut me out. I didn't know that. I wasn't aware of that until that evening and then things that would happen. Um, I, I was very um, shocked, but I know it also came back to me through a very good source that he considers me a loose cannon. So 
So he was waiting for me to do something. I just took too much time in doing it. Mm-hmm. But I didn't want to go off crazy either and start, you know, spouting off about ridiculous things. I mm-hmm. needed things a little more concrete than that. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I, I would say um, ridiculous isn't the right word I want to use on this topic, but it's also another thing that I feel like has lent itself to the lore surrounding Natalie's death is also um we've discussed um hollywood history on this show quite a bit and the fact that she is in the film rebel without a cause and then also james dean's death and then also salmoneo's death you know was this something that and you discussed a bit in the book too you know that um we're friends with Sal, you know, would come over a bit and like swim in the pool with her um, after the film. Was there for some photo sort of, shoots? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Not as bad. Oh, well, you know, a gay man will always be ready for a photo shoot. So, yes. um, <laughs> was there some sense, you know, of um, that was that film and its history and i guess sort of what would happen to those other two leads was that something that felt sort of like dark to natalie or even you particularly just because you come from a family where your mother would talk about um prophecy and things like that was this an idea that like this film might be cursed i i'm the disbeliever (laughs) Yeah. So <laughs> I didn't really think about it much. Um, I don't really believe in coincidences. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, I believe that things can happen that are puzzling like that because there's more that we simply do not understand about the world, about mankind. Mm-hmm. So if there was some reason if there was some sort of a cosmic force, I, I am the disbeliever. I, I'm the one who I, I'm a certified scuba diver. So, mm. you know, I absolutely love being in the ocean under mm. the water. Um, Natalie was as, has been well established by now, hated it, just absolutely hated it. Every time she had to force herself to do it, it made her a mess afterward, an absolute mess. So now it, it it should be well established that you have a long acting career yourself, and I guess mm-hmm. if I if I'm gonna bother you with one question about that, it's going to be: Okay, are you often frustrated that Diamonds Are Forever is not credited as the craziest James Bond movie of all time? <laughs> and are you proud of how zany a movie that is? Because people think it's Moonraker, but it's not. It's Diamonds yeah. Are Forever. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it. It wasn't my favorite Bond movie. Let me put it that way. I'll put it that way. But I love working with Sean. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Guy Hamilton was a friend. Tom Mankiewicz was an old friend. Um, so I, I, it was, it was all really nice. Um, and I think, however people perceive it, they're correct. <laughs> it's open to interpretation, and you hit your hit your wagon to that interpretation. Yeah. Uh, 
And lastly, aside from being a Bond fan, I am also a Soap fan. And I have seen reruns of Peyton Place. Um, oh, please. It's what I just want to know what that felt like being a part of a series that I felt like was such a springboard for like so many people. You know, you had yep. um, Ryan O'Neill. You had yep. Mia Farrow yeah, Farrow. on that Mia show. Farrow. You know, was there the idea during the um, show that it was really something sort of like special that was gripping America? How did you, how do you feel about that show being a part um, of it after? Yeah, that would all be uh, after the sh- after. after the show. It's um, I don't know. I'm I'm very proud to have been a part of it because I feel that it was a well written show. They had three directors that would rotate. So we were very consistent. Uh, The show didn't go this way and that way. Um, And I just, I adored everybody. Not all the cast, but everybody else I really liked. So I had a good time on it. Well, thank you so much for being here today. And thank you for sharing your story with us, sharing Natalie's story with us. I think I think that there's one thing that Lewis and I would definitely agree on is, you know, like Natalie is been one of our favorite sort of um, actresses um, and just stories um, that we've sort of obsessed over for years. And and, um, I hope that the book um, and this coming out has been able to help you find, you know, some peace with your sister's death as well. Nope, never will. (laughs) It never will. I just want her remembered. Mm-hmm. I want her remembered. And this book also serves that purpose is please remember who she was, who she really was not made up stories, but really who Natalie was because she was a real sensitive hurt person who was looking so hard to straighten out her life. And it was taken away from her. So thank you so much. Thank you so much, Lana. Thank you guys very much. They say plants like music. Yeah, no, like really, they they respond to the vibrations of it, which means that this playlist you're listening to, the plants are too. You know what else plants like? Organic soil from miracle Grow. It's made with all the best stuff like wood fiber and compost. Plus, it's OMRI certified organic, which officially means it's made with superior ingredients. And when you give your plants the stuff that makes them happy, they won't judge you on your iffy playlist. Hear that, plants? So go ahead and give them miracle Grow. Well, in honor of today's guests, um, you know, Lewis and I thought it would be fun to regale uh, Francesca with, you know, some of our old favorite tales of old Hollywood murder and some lighter chat about some of our favorite Golden Age movies as well. I think, you know, we discussed um, Salmoneo um, with Lana Wood, and he, of course, was one of the co-stars of Rebel Without a Cause. And... I think that his death is one that I feel like his death is my black Dahlia. Sure. Lewis, would you agree? Well, I mean, the thing about him is, well, first of all, very good actor. And he obviously Oscar nominated when he was 16 for Rebel Without a Cause. He was great 
later in a movie called Exodus, which was a huge movie at the time that people sort of forget about now. But um, anyway, uh, the weird thing about Salmoneo is so he was stabbed somewhat I'll call it randomly in the mid seventies and you can kind of just walk by where he died here in West Hollywood. So it's just around Mm -hmm. in a way for gay men, which is unlike, I think most other, you know, Hollywood stories of lore. I was going to bring up the famous woman who jumped from the Hollywood sign, Peg Entwistle, who was Betty Davis's favorite actress once upon a time. She's only in one Hollywood movie, but the Hollywood sign you mean is Ryan a, Murphy's Hollywood. That's right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> he owns the rights to her whole story and all stories now. Um, but, uh, but anyway, Salmonio is just somebody you end up thinking about a lot because you can just walk right past where it happened here. It's just, he it was just, it's, it's weird that you could just have like basically the same gay life 50 years ago, right over here that you would have now. Like the same people would be around. We're living in the same apartments, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you know, that, that, I feel like that is the one that has always hooked me. Just because, you know, I feel like as a person who's such a, you know, like we're writers, you know, so like I love Hollywood, I love stories, um, and like reading up also on like the history of these actors and people, and then also, you know, as you're coming out as like a gay man and like reading up on people who were in the closet for a long time or when they came out like in that era you know i feel like it's one of those stories that i just the first time i remember reading about it like i was just very sad for the rest of the day oh yeah yeah especially because in and you're realizing or like reprocessing the fact that this person paved the way for gay stars that we have now you know like it's Mm -hmm. not really i mean i think it is still a big deal to come out but it's not the same blow to your career that it was back then. Um, And so like for as sad as it is, it's kind of incredible that we're in a place right now where, you know, you can come out and it's not seen as like, okay, your career is going to be over. No one wants to work with you. You're a pariah. Um, And I think for that reason, it it is extremely heartbreaking that his life was cut short. Mm -hmm. And I think if you haven't read it, um, a good sort of companion piece to the story is uh, weirdly James Elroy's um, description of it. Um, he sort of um, investigated the case um, in like 2018 or whatever, years later, like piecing together um, things from the crime scene um, and the reports and stuff from the detect- uh, detectives and stuff. And, you know, James Elroy is himself um, a very successful author so um you know him digging into this crime um is it's a very interesting read uh that's a story that i would love to see to be honest definitely well also um yeah and you basically just touched on this francesca but sal minio uh, came out in an interview in 1972 as bisexual and like the idea the legend associated with david bowie acknowledging the same thing and then basically taking it back over the years. This person was not taking it back. This was like his real life. And so there are just not many people like that from that time. So he is utterly irreplaceable in that regard. Yeah. Yeah, And I I would even add to that, like being bisexual, right? Like there's still this stigma that there's so much erasure of bisexuality, especially in men. It's very much seen as like, oh, you're not really bi. You're just saying that so that you feel comfortable saying that you are gay. And Sal had, you know, relationships with women, like successful, happy ones, too. Um, So that definitely can't be discounted. 
One that is just, I, I can't explain why this one is always on my mind, but the 50s Superman, George Reeves, this is a movie, uh, this was discussed. Yes, I was literally about to think about that one. Wasn't that the Ben Affleck movie Yes, uh, correct, yeah. yeah. Um, he just went upstairs at a party, killed himself, or allegedly what? killed himself. And uh, he's like, he, for instance, George Reeves is, you might have seen him on the I Love Lucy episode where she meets Superman. That's maybe where most people would know from know about him now. But it's just- okay. That level of like baffling, noirish, Black Dahlia, Hollywood intrigue history is always coming to mind for me. And by the way, we should couch this in, Iris said, our favorite stories. It's not like I'm loving that this <laughs> happened or anything like that. But it's just, there's something especially um, resonant about stories like this occurring in Hollywood, which is a very, you know, heated, sexualized, intrigue-filled atmosphere anyway, before you put things like this into it. Well, it's a bit because, you know, I mean, we, we see, like, murder and mayhem every day on the news, right? Um, and there's something about the, the Hollywood machine. You know, we got into it with Lana, you know, about the keep, keeping up appearances about, like, Kirk Douglas, for instance, you know? Or, like, Will Smith discussing, you know, how, like, he had to be, like, the perfect sort of actor um, and really not shed too much about his life. If so much about Hollywood, particularly back then, with the um, way that stars were crafted without social media. Yes. And even like the tabloid news that you would get about them was sort of like negotiated. Um, you know, I, I still remember the story about how like um, Tab Hunter stayed in the closet because his um, manager or whatever like gave the tabloids another actor um, outed another actor to keep his a main client who was successful in the closet. Um, how it's all about these smoke and mirrors and maintaining sort of like a um, sort of everything is great here, you know. And so when you hear about like a murder or something salacious like this, you know, it's not like this doesn't happen elsewhere. It's just like it's wow. It's it's sort of like a crack in the china glass right know? right phil hartman's death for instance yeah. you oh, know, my is another God. one that haunts me yeah especially when it's like you were saying somebody that you have a, an image of especially like a comedian and i even think throughout hollywood history it seems to hit even harder when it's someone who you think but they've been so happy their mm -hmm. life is so great they're always making jokes and it's kind of kind of destigmatizing this idea that like you can have a public happy persona, but that doesn't mean that your life is perfect behind the scenes. Um, and that there are lots of people who are struggling with mental health and, and drug usage and things like that, that present to us as happy and perfect. Um, it's really kind of jarring when it happens. There's also an added uh, layer of, I'll use the word intrigue again with the Phil Hartman thing because his wife was like a failed actress too. You can see her in bit parts in movies. She's in the movie North for a second. She's in the opening credits of SNL where she's sitting across from Phil Hartman and as he's looking at the camera and waving, you can see her earring swinging and the reason is the director told her two seconds ago not to look into the camera while they did the scene. So she was trying to have a moment too. So their actual little haunting glimpses into her character to our seeming glimpses into her character. Um, mm. But yeah, classic E! True Hollywood story, which by the way, I was reared on and children don't have that nowadays and they just don't know to love and fear Hollywood the way I do yeah. because of this now, show. Now they just have 30 second TikToks. Yeah, that are right. <laughs> diving into uh, people's stories. TikTok. 
a TikTok story would be like, uh, have you heard of this actress, Natalie Wood, before? Have you yeah. heard of Boats? <laughs> right. That's the whole thing. Eight million Explain, views. Explaining <laughs> what a boat deals. is and explaining, like, Rebel Without a Cause was an iconic Hollywood film you may have never heard of. All right. It was in La La Land. Uh, <laughs> also, nor- North, um, to get into another Keep It detour, a truly horrendous film that I believe that I believe is one of like Roger Ebert hated that film. It's, didn't he? he in his book, I hate, hate, hated this movie. That's he's <laughs> the, that's the the movie review that is quoted the most often from him, where he literally says over again, "I hated this film. I hated every second of it. I hated just somebody on a rampage. Like it's not. It wasn't a normal <laughs> bad movie for him, which is crazy because maybe that's what has uh, kept Julia Louis Dreyfus from doing more movies over the years is that she was in North and is just traumatized. <laughs> There's also this idea of Hollywood. Uh, murders and like lurid stories like this that like get in the minds of certain people and you never stop hearing about them like the manson family right yeah. right you know? and mm-hmm. then it finally culminated in um once upon a time in hollywood and i hope that that is the last time we have to dive into the manson family no i feel like we are gonna always see movies about that story I mean, it just has a mix of all the things that people, quote unquote, love, especially Mm -hmm. like satanic cult, like cults and a cult leader and a movie star whose life is cut short too soon. And she was pregnant. Like there's just all of these elements that make it salacious, but also heartbreaking and fascinating. Um, Not that I think it's appropriate, but yes, I feel like it's always going to be a popular story. And yet, there's never really been any version of this story that's, like, humanized, I feel, Sharon Tate in an interesting way. And that's presumably the reason everyone's so obsessed with it, you know, because this beautiful, young, blonde actress was murdered while she was pregnant, you know? Like, even I I enjoy Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and I remember our discussion of it, but I would say that Margot Robbie as Sharon Tate, the depiction of her in the film, I was sort of like, all right. It, yeah, it wasn't really much of a depiction anywhere. at all. Yeah, <laughs> she she went to watch herself at the movies. There's a there's a piece of deep character um, revelation. Right, right. But I think it also just plays into you know like the missing white woman syndrome, where it's mm. not about who the woman is; it's about that she's beautiful and that she, right. you know, her life was cut short. And it's about how everybody feels about the woman's death and not actually about her. Um, mm-hmm. So it's it's not surprising. I I didn't see Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I uh, I'm not the biggest fan of. <laughs> I just like I I like Tarantino is not my favorite. So I, I you wasn't... just say you don't like him. It's okay. I mean, <laughs> my brain was like, what is this man's name? Um... <laughs> I'm the one person who I guess who almost every time I try to watch Pulp Fiction falls asleep. Like the whiz bang actually just does not stimulate me. That's I mean that's that's not me bragging. I'm just. It's fine. I, like, I get it. I Honestly, you would be just as well served by watching, like, a, a YouTube review mm-hmm. of the film of, like, the best moments. And, like, you've got it. <laughs> you know, like, that's it. But, yeah, I wasn't running to watch that movie. But I do think it is really sad that we don't know more about Sharon Tate. And we don't know more about who she was versus the most terrible thing that happened to her. Like, that's what cements her legacy for most people. And it's really sad. Yeah. Second only to being married to Roman Polanski. Right. So, 
You are correct. Um, <laughs> Which must have been a terror in its own right. I sort of touched on this when I asked uh, Lana Wood uh, or, and brought up uh, Cass Elliot. But it's sort of like, for instance, something that bothers me is about, I'm an obsessive fan of the Carpenters. Carpenters come up all the time on, the, on this podcast. And Karen Carpenter, if I talked about her generally to anybody, what comes up immediately is... Uh, eating disorder. eating like just just eating disorder and just maybe even a joke involving Cass Elliot about how if she had shared her sandwich with Ka- Karen Carpenter she'd still be no. alive or something it's like it's so meanwhile, wildly insensitive a virtuoso <laughs> yeah. drummer right like most people yeah. don't know yeah. she was like this amazing musician I, I mean most, like it's <laughs> what 60 year old do you hanging out with making Cass Elliot, Karen Carpenter jokes. <laughs> t- literally, it's it's the oldest joke, and everybody pretends they came up with it themselves. But also, uh, Francesca, to your point, I watched an interview with um, uh, Sheila E. recently, where she talked about how she goes, "I always bring up that Karen Carpenter was the first woman drummer I ever watched," and people's responses is always, "Oh yeah, I guess she did play the drums." It's like what? Yes, yeah. constantly on television, yeah, and, yes, and <laughs> playing drums and singing together are really, really. That's so difficult. You're you're keeping mm-hmm. track of two very different times at the same time, and that is mm-hmm. a skill that most people don't have. Um, yeah. And you're right; it t- totally gets forgotten. You know what? To rap, you know what mystery most people don't know? Hogan's hero star, Bob Crane. Oh, yes. He was found bludgeoned to death, killed by the third Carpenter sibling, John Henry Carpenter. Oh, that's too bad. Wow. Uh, that's also the subject of the movie, um, <laughs> Autofocus, if you don't know about um, Bob Crane. What yes. a cra- that's a pretty crazy story. Or and Also, oh, yes. very um, steeped in... Uh, sensationalism and stuff so i mean decide for yourself oh also you all know me that john henry carpenter is not related to character yeah he better not be (laughs) yeah (laughs) all right when we're back keep it and we're back with our favorite segment of the episode it is keep it Lewis, what's your keep it? Um, I don't know why this article keeps being shopped to me. It keeps populating itself on my Twitter. But keep it to the BuzzFeed listicle. And by the way, my career once upon a time was writing listicles. I have a respect for the art form. Listicle it up universe. I enjoy it, generally speaking. The article is called 22 Celebrities with No Haters. Another headline for it is people are calling out the celebrities who don't have a single hater. And honestly, it's an impressive feat. And obviously, a bunch of familiar names are coming up, like Julie Andrews, Dolly Parton, Tom Hanks. The point of being a celebrity or the point of being alive is not that nobody hates you. In fact, I feel like the thing I hate about this article is it makes people who have haters feel like they did it to themselves. You know who hates Jane Fonda? People I fucking hate. I'm sorry. (laughs) You know? You shouldn't be congratulated for being benign necessarily. I'm not saying there. I'm not saying Dolly Parton should have haters. I'm not saying Tom Hanks should have haters. But it's not a crowning achievement. And in a way, it feels to me like a version of sexism that's congratulating women for not annoying men. Mm. You know, like we're like don't you didn't piss off anybody. Good. We, you're st- you're still on our good side. We haven't turned on you ever. And I mean, let's just talk about. The people who get into good trouble, we should be congratulating them more than we should be congratulating people who curiously, somewhat accidentally, don't have haters. Guys, Dolly Parton did not make the Moderna vaccine, okay? I know she contributed the money. I know you want to believe she was in the fucking lab. She wasn't. Stop. She made wonderful songs, and that's enough. Also, if you're going to talk about um, 
Dolly Parton and quote unquote, why she has no haters. You also have to delve into the reason why, you know, a country singer, a blonde one, a gorgeous one, you know, like has such a following in America. Mm -hmm. You should really read um, Tressie McMillan Cottom's um, essay, The Dolly Moment, which is on her Substack. Um, that's one of the best long reads I've ever read about the Dolly Parton phenomenon. But um, getting into that article, Hugh Jackman is on that list, and what? maybe no one at the no no one at the BuzzFeed offices has ever seen The Boy from Oz. But <laughs> Hugh Jackman has some haters. To <laughs> so circle back to Dolly Parton, I do like Dolly Parton, but I'm going to say it. I want to hear from Jolene. Where is right. where is she at? Because yes. I'm sure she has some things to say. And it just lends me to believe that BuzzFeed has not done their journalistic duty. Everybody Paul has Rudd. haters. Right. Just existing. Yeah. And, and, and I, like to kind of piggyback on this whole idea of it being sexist, I also don't think that having haters is an accomplishment. Just existing, somebody is going to have something to say. It's just like when yeah. you go home for mm -hmm. Christmas and they're like, oh, you think you cute with your little job. And it's like, yes, I have a job. I'm employed. Yeah. Why are you hating on me? Like, this is ridiculous. Mm -hmm. It's not anything special. Everybody has something to say. And well. these are just celebrities, to your point, who are benign enough that they maybe don't expose their true personality. They kind of mm -hmm. stay out of politics. They stay out of, quote unquote, controversial issues enough yeah, that they mind their business. You know, and I'm I'm yeah. here for that. I'm here for that. But yeah. I agree. We don't need to applaud it. It's not something special. Paul Rudd's on the list. And mm. literally a few weeks ago. Me, Lewis, and I get to drag Paul Rudd for that. See, uh, watch us. We'll find a way. <laughs> well, some of these names, too, like, for instance, like Julie Anders, that's somebody who has been mostly out of the limelight over the past yes. however many years. You know, I mean, I don't even know what her last huge moment was outside of the Kennedy Center honors. So it's People almost like. hated that bitch in the 60s. We don't right. know. Yeah, also, like, is she on Twitter? Like, is she someplace that she could put her foot in her mouth? Probably right. not. Yeah, right. Nobody really cared about Joyce Carol Oates until she, her ah! Twitter fingers got busy. So... <laughs> <laughs> Probably oh, a lot wait. of beloved older celebrities who are still beloved because we do not know what they think about racism. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Let's keep it that way. <laughs> uh Francesca, you're our guest. Please go next. Okay. A keep it. What is your keep it this week? I'm going to say keep it to people memeing Travis Scott's bad Instagram mm. apology. You know, the Astro World mm. tragedy is still so, so fresh. There are literally people, children in the hospital right now fighting for their lives. And folks on Twitter are like, what's my hot take on eight people dying? And now I have to turn it into a meme. Like, no, you really don't. Um, I saw people reenacting Travis Scott's statement um, on Instagram or doing it on, on TikTok. It's just very, very tasteless. And look, I get it. Memes are fun. They're like mm -hmm. a modern day Mad Lib. Memes make unfunny people seem funny. I get it. But at the same time... <laughs> I'm never fooled personally, but go ahead. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> look, I, look, I love memes, but it is the type of thing where you meet... Like, Have you ever met somebody who's really funny on Twitter and in person you're like, you have no personality? Oh, oh all the absolutely. Time. Yeah, absolutely. Your whole personality is just like co-opting other things that are inherently funny and adding a great caption to it. 
sure, that's a skill on some level. But at the same time, if your first instinct when you hear about people dying and people being traumatized, right? Like beyond the eight people that died at Astroworld, there are a lot of people who thought that their life was potentially ending, that were mm-hmm. there when it was happening and seeing other people or were being crushed. Like there are people who are going to have psychological trauma for the from this for years mm-hmm. to come. Well, luckily, Travis Scott is offering them a month of free therapy with better help. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and here's the thing. I think this is one of those moments where people believe that they're punching up because they're making fun of, they're trying to make fun of Travis Scott. But this is not a situation that I think that there's any way to spin this in a funny way. Like he did Mm -hmm. something, you know, he was definitely negligent in the situation. There were a lot of people that are to be blamed for this. And I hope Mm -hmm. that this... You know, and it's a thing us- that he's done before Absolutely. in the past. You know, encouraged his attendees of his concerts to rage and be crazy. So absolutely. And they were very much cutting corners in order to maximize profits and have as many people there as possible. They weren't listening to the attendees who were saying that they were in distress. Um, There's nothing funny about that. And Mm -hmm. despite what you might think about Travis Scott's bad apology, and let's all agree, it was bad and it wasn't a real apology at all. um, I just don't see the benefit. It's like, okay, great. You got a lot of retweets on Twitter. Like, good for you. I I don't know what the purpose is. Also, um, you think this would be funny too, but it is not. um, The other thing that's happened on TikTok from this is that now um, this has become the basis for the satanic panic of 2021. Apparently, Travis Scott is the devil and Satan is bad. And let me tell you, uh, Travis Scott is not interesting enough for Satan to care about. Okay, Seriously? He is not Marlena Evans. Okay, I thought Lil Nas X was the devil before. There's an inter- there's a more interesting pop star. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> um, speaking of people who aren't interesting enough for the devil to care about, um, my keep it goes to Aaron Rodgers. Mm. Oh week. my God, I can't believe we have time for this. Okay, go ahead. First of all, this Aaron Rodgers um, recently got COVID. Uh, and is missing some games as a Packer. Um, first of all, the P- Green Bay Packers are the football team from Wisconsin. I'm a Packer fan. Okay, so this hits me actually where it hurts. Um, he was not following NFL protocols because he was immunized. He didn't get the vaccine. He was immunized because I guess he had had it before. Um the thing that made me so upset about this man was, whatever, you're stupid, you're a celebrity who got COVID um, by not doing what you were supposed to do. That's happened to so many celebrities that we can't even make a list here. But the fact that you then need to jump into the persona of the person who's like, well, the woke left mob is coming after me. Oh, God. Uh, and then he's also doing this like politics is a sham because the right is going to champion me. I'm like, you sound like an idiot. He also fucking said, I, I'm a free thinker. I march to the beat of my own drum. People who say that, by the way, I- I'll say it. They don't. I mean, they're lying. No. Yeah. No. He only, I not marched only to said the flower that, drum song, okay? <laughs> I, I enjoy being actually immunized and a girl, <laughs> to quote that musical. But um, he said, I marched to the beat of my own drum. And I'm also following the advice of Joe Rogan. It's like, do you see where there's a oh. conflict here? You can't do both. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Every I... person who listens to Joe Rogan thinks that they are a free thinker and coming up with things on their own. 
Yeah, I also I, I'm also annoyed by the whole the same crowd that was very, you know, actively sh- shouting shut up and dribble is suddenly like really gung ho about sports stars you know, having thoughts on politics and having thoughts on COVID. It's is it like giving hypocrisy? Oh, is it giving bit. hypocrisy because a it's a bit. white man who's on the side of the right who thinks yeah. that be- getting vaccines is somehow evil? I'm sorry, when you are feuding with Big Bird on Twitter, Ted Cruz, because he's telling <laughs> kids to get immunized, your, your brain, half your brain is missing. Also, I just want to be clear, this man was a half step away from being the permanent host of Jeopardy. Remember when we were freaking the fuck out that Dr. Oz was a bit of a quack and it was crazy that he got that opportunity? Even Dr. Oz isn't calling you the woke mob for wanting you to get a motherfucking vaccine. Yeah. Oh my God. Shailene, pick up your man. Yeah, It would have it would have been, it would have been so wild if he'd somehow managed to be both of our nemesis for two different reasons, Lewis. I know. La- the layers of how <laughs> awful he is. Oh, my God. And also, by the way, now enough time has passed that we can say he sucked as a Jeopardy host. I cannot stand that people were defending him. He sounded like he could barely read. It sounded like they pulled him out of the audience to read clues. He looked. He was like the kid in the play who's holding his script because he's too busy being on the football team. Yeah. Yeah. Awful. <laughs> Um, you know, I'm I'm interested now in what's going to be his new trajectory. You know, because isn't it always fun when a because he's, he's benign... going to go the canceled route. Right. Like, this is yes. this is a money maker for them. You say you've been canceled, and then you go do a college speaking tour about how you've been canceled, and then you come out with a podcast about how you've been canceled, and then you put out a book about how you've been canceled, and it's just like it. There's a playbook now, you know, it's like you have to use the word woke mob and cancel culture. And then suddenly, like, that's your ticket to to success. Never mind that you're only missing like what a couple games and then you will go right back to being a millionaire football player who is with Shailene Woodley. You're fine. Which is its own sort of cancellation. If we're being honest. <laughs> 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 Have Do fun living like in Ferngully. I, I, I enjoy her. That might be a big little truth, though. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I like her, too. Someone has to save the rainforest. Yeah. I feel like she's at the level of, like, saving the rainforest cafe and not the actual rainforest. <laughs> Shout out to Rainforest Cafe. That's my shit. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, this has been the one sports topic that I actually care about. So, uh, <laughs> It won't happen again for another hundred years. <laughs> thank God. Francesca, thank you so much for joining us this oh week my gosh, again. Thank you for having me. For coming back. Thank you to Lana Wood for revealing secrets. And this has been the Keep It Mysteries. We'll see you next week when we're joined by the Harlem Globetrotters and Phyllis Diller. Keep It is a Crooked Media production. Our senior producer is Kendra James. Our producer is Caroline Reston. And our associate producer is Brian Semmel. Our executive producer is Ira Madison III. But I, Louis Fertel, do a good job, too. 
On this episode of Plant Killers, we'll explore one nation's most notorious fruit and vegetable killer, bad dirt. What makes bad dirt so bad? The answer, the ingredients. But fear not, true crime enthusiasts. This story has a happy ending. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil. It's made with quality organic ingredients from upcycled green waste like compost and aged bark. Unlike the other guys who can't say the same. Looks like bad dirt's murdering days are over. Thanks to miracle Grow. Join us next time on Plant Killers.